Hello, and welcome to the Huguenot Podcast, episode 40. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to remind everybody that you can definitely check out my website, and that can be found at hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. Um, you can also send me any show ideas or questions or comments to Podcast at gmail.com, and you can find that on the website or in the show notes. I also wanted to mention, um, I think most of you have probably found this through Northern Runes Radio, but in case anybody hasn't, um, I'm a network partner of Northern Runes Radio, and they can be found at northernrunesradio.com, and I'd strongly suggest checking them out. Uh, Dan's doing an interesting series right now about more esoteric, I guess you'd say, things, and it's definitely worth a listen, and they've got a They've got a bunch of different things on there, different network partners from podcasts to books. Uh, A lot of interesting stuff to look at. Plus, kind of the nice thing is if you subscribe to their RSS feed, you will get my podcast as well. So you only need one RSS feed, which is kind of convenient. So if you're not familiar with Northern Runes Radio, please do take a moment to check them out. Anyway, I think that's all I need for the introduction now. Um, work's been crazy for me, and Laura's been having a lot of stuff go on with his schedule, too. So, unfortunately, this month it's just going to be me. Don't worry, it's not going to be normal. I know it's kind of hard to have just one person talking. But I thought I'd take this opportunity to discuss something that I think is important and rather interesting. So, this month we will be talking about, I guess you'd say, Ossetru and morality. Um, In particular, freedom, just because, I don't know, maybe because I'm an American, that's uh, morality that comes up a lot. Okay, so when we talk about this, the first thing we want to say is how does religion and morality work together? And I'm reminded of something Socrates talked about um, obviously a long time ago. I can't remember the exact dialogue it comes from. But basically, there was uh, the question was put, and I, I don't want to get this backwards, when you're deciding whether or not something is moral, and if you're going to use religion as your backing for that, do you say an action is moral because the gods do it, or the gods do an action because it is moral? And I think it falls into the latter. So basically I'm saying if we look at the lore and we look at things that the gods do, we can say those are moral. But we can't say well, they're moral because the gods do them. That's not an answer. It's not that arbitrary where, oh, well, the gods do it, so it's moral. It is rather the case that this action is moral for some reason or the other, and that is why the gods do it. So let's start with that premise that we have to find out why a thing is moral or immoral. And like I said, we're going to kind of be focusing on freedom, this time around, because that's something I'm like, well, that's probably a moral thing. Uh, and and also in the bigger sense, I suppose we're going to be focusing on, uh, that's kind of a cliche in Austria, I guess, but something that I hear a lot is Austria is not a religion, it's a way of life. And I think that's that's a very important thing to remember. 
you're not just Austrian and like, oh yeah, it means I go to rituals and believe in the gods and that's about it. I mean, there is a certain moral set that comes along with it. I mean, I, I think it's a pretty basic one and obvious to some extent. It doesn't have to dictate every every section of your life. Uh, every single action is not necessarily going to be dictated by if you're Osotro, you know, in the sense that you can't be like, oh, well, uh, I don't program because I'm Osotro, or I do program because I'm Osotro. It, it doesn't go that far, but there are some basic right and wrong things, which I think the religion actually um, is pertinent to, and, and some fundamental and big ones. Okay, so the first thing we want to say is we're deciding if an action is right and wrong. I already said we can't know it's right just because it's just because the gods do it. But what we can do is we can look at the lore and we can find things that the gods do. And then we can say, well, this thing is probably moral because the gods are doing it. So we know it's probably moral. So now that we have something to look at, let's look at that in a little more depth. And now I said freedom was going to be kind of our case study for today. Well, freedom itself, I think, is a natural consequence or derived from something else, which, if you've listened to this podcast before, has come up a lot, and I think that's autonomy or free will, um, the ability to make decisions for yourself or yeah, the ability to make your own decisions and be responsible for the consequences of those decisions. Now, freedom is um, derived from that because in freedom, you're free to do what you want. Um, you're allowed to do what you want. You are not hampered from doing what you want. So in that sense, you are enabled to practice autonomy or it is possible for you to have free will in a free society. So we can see that if autonomy is truly a good thing, we can probably say that uh, that freedom is, is also a good thing. So now there's always this, uh, what do you call it, interplay, I suppose, between freedom and fate or free will and fate you know how much is free will and how much is fate and the, the, there's the norns obviously or verdandians called who are sort of goddesses who are in charge of fate you know they weave the thread of fate so okay we're like we've got some fate there we've got ragnarok which is fated to happen so that's fate again so i guess the first thing we want to say is is autonomy really important in Osotro or not? Maybe fate is more important in Osotro. Alright, so let's look at some case exam case studies from the lore. Uh, Odin, uh, he obviously, he does a lot of stuff. He fights in Ragnarok. Um, but a lot of what he's doing is preventing or, or um, getting ready for, uh, for Ragnarok. So... We're going to come back to him because right now where we are, I feel like you could just make the argument, oh, well, he is fated to prepare for Ragnarok. It's all set up ahead of the time. So let's come back to him later. And let's go with some less obvious examples. Now, before we go any too, far, too much farther, there is a definition of fatalism that says 
everything you do, you're fated to do, and you think you're making a decision, but you're not really making a decision because you're fated to make that decision. Um, so, for example, you say, you don't, you say to me, you don't have free will, and I say, well, I do have free will. Look, I raised my right arm. I chose to do that action. It's not fate. It wasn't meaningful. I just chose to raise my right arm because I wanted to. And then the counter would be like, oh, well, fate would have you raise your right arm. You only thought it was free will. I'm not saying it can entirely be disputed that that may be the case, but if that is the case, if it is the case that everything is predetermined and my volations seem to be an exercise of my free will, but actually everything was fated to happen. I'm not sure that's true fatalism anyway, because I made a decision to raise my right arm, and following that, I did actually raise my right arm. So whenever I make a decision to do something, if it's in my power to do, that action does occur. And it feels to me like that is free will. That type of fate where all your decisions are predetermined and your your decisions or your free will is just part of some giant machine of fate, I don't know if that's truly fate or not. I feel like that's more predestination. And you can imagine a world where you ha where everything was predetermined, yet you still had free will. So, for example, you can imagine a world where some evil genius somewhere knows exactly what you're going to do. But you're still making the decisions on your own to do the thing. Just because he has foreknowledge of it doesn't mean that all of a sudden fate has come into play. And it would also be necessary that that evil genius doesn't tell you what you're going to do because then you may do the opposite just to spite it. And then quite quite possibly um, well and then what you might say is oh well uh he was going to give you that uh, secret future. I don't know. Okay, let me try to think of how to say this. The evil genius was going to give you a transcript of everything you're going to do, knowing that you would take that transcript and then do the opposite to spite him, but he has the real copy of the actual real, real future, which says that you would do the opposite to uh, spite him. But Still, in this situation, though there is predetermination of some sense, there's there can be foreknowledge of the entire situation. It doesn't mean that you're not making a decision. You're still making a decision, even though somebody knows what decision you're going to make. Which, I mean, honestly, I don't think anybody does. But if they did, it doesn't mean you didn't make a decision. And another example, which is a little more down-to-earth, would be... Um, Let's say I'm in a situation and uh, my friend is going to ask me a question. And they say to their friend or to me or whoever, they say, I bet he's going to answer honestly. And then they ask me the question and I answer honestly. Well, it's true that he had foreknowledge of what my answer was going to be. And you could make the argument like, oh, he divined my fate. I was fated to make that argument. But that's not really much of an argument. You just knew what I was going to do because, you know, I'm the type of person that 
answers honestly. So again, having foreknowledge of the situation does not imply that fate is actually at work. But that's a tangent and really not important. Well, I mean it's important, but not to this discussion. So let's look at, at some of the places where maybe the common sense definition of fate was um, refuted. So the first one we have, a classic one, is Freya um, and the story of the necklace, the bristling necklace. I have trouble pronouncing it, I'm sorry. Anyway, in that situation, if you don't know the story, the short version of she goes to the dwarves and these four dwarves made a really beautiful necklace and she wanted it and the price was having her sleep with them. So she was like, okay, well, I really want it, so I will I will pay that price. I'll do that. And then she got the necklace out of it. Now, it's always possible that that necklace was really more significant than we know because the lore has been lost on it. But I think, for the most part, that is an example of a god, or a goddess in this case, saying... I am going to make a decision to do something. There isn't, this is helping me fulfill my fate of fighting in Ragnarok, going on behind it. It's, this is a thing that's very important to me for whatever the reason is, and I'm personally making a decision to do it. So she's not controlled by fate there, it seems. She's controlled by, not controlled, but she makes a decision. She exercises her free will to get something that she wants. And the reason I didn't use the story where Odin seduces um, Gundrel, the giant with the poetic maid, um, is because in that situation, I mean, you, you could argue that, well, he needed that mead so he could give it to people, so he's really just fulfilling his fate of, of helping people. I mean, the decision that is made in both of those cases is nearly analogous. Odin seduces the giantess to get the poetic mead. Freya does the same thing. She sleeps with the dwarves to get the necklace. So in both instances, a god wants something and does something, has sex in these instances, to to reach that end. But I think the Freya example is more obvious of true free will because uh, it's it's not like you can't say oh the Freya is fated to want necklaces. I mean that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Well, you could say oh well Odin is fated to help humanity because they are necessary in fighting in Ragnarok, so he's just fulfilling his fate. Though honestly, I think both are showing free will. Uh, so let's go on to another example where perhaps free will was shown. Uh, another example would be uh, Frey, when he gives his sword so that he can uh, marry the giantess Gerd. It's the sword that will fight for him. Uh, you know, he gives the sword as part of a dowry, I guess, to get Gerd to marry him. So that is a sword that would have fought for him in Ragnarok. And obviously, since he fights in Ragnarok with a deer antler because he doesn't have the sword he 
by giving up that sword, he makes it much more difficult for himself to fight in Ragnarok. And that's probably a big reason that he ends up dying in Ragnarok, where maybe if he had the sword, he wouldn't have. So that's a decision where he's obviously making a a decision. He thinks that marrying Gerd is, is more important than having that advantage in Ragnarok. So that's another um, showing of, of free will. And now let's let's move back to Odin in Ragnarok. It it is said in the Valsapa that Odin is destined is is fated to fight in Ragnarok, and he'll fight the Fenris wolf. And it's said that when he fights him, you know he goes straight towards the Fenris wolf. He doesn't fight anybody else because he knows his fate is to fight the Fenris wolf, and that's what he has to do. But I imagine if he so desired, he could be like, okay, okay, well. Alright, I'm fighting the Fenris Wolf in Ragnarok. That's my face. That's my fate. You know what? Instead of leaving Asgard, and instead of um, instead of doing that, instead of uh, rushing out of Valhalla and facing the wolf, I'm just gonna kind of stay inside. Maybe, maybe I'll go in a reinforced chamber. I've got some time. I'll build one. Uh, yeah, I'll be safe there. He could have done that but he chose not to to save humanity and and have the world be reborn as it needs to be i think he chose to ful- or he will choose rather to fulfill that fate when the time comes so the thing about faith in the norse view or in the also true view of the word or I should really, to be accurate, say in my view of the word, is you may have a certain fate, and you can choose to fulfill it or not fulfill it. And the ones who choose to fulfill their fate, when it is it is better for everybody, though not necessarily better for them, are the ones who are truly heroes. So Odin, in this example, he doesn't have to fight in Ragnarok. He doesn't have to fight the Fenris wolf, and he doesn't have to be killed by the Fenris wolf. But he chooses to. So he chooses, he uses free will to choose to fulfill his fate. And and I think that's what we mean when we say fate. We mean there are a certain, there are a certain set of circumstances around you, and you can choose to do something that these circumstances make possible. So in Odin's case, he can choose to fight in Ragnarok, and doing that will make uh, it possible for the Earth to be reborn instead of the giants winning and everything turning stagnant. So he chooses to fulfill his fate, and I I feel like that comes up a lot. Um, Heroes choosing to fulfill their fate. So my version of fate is not something that's at odd that is at odds with free will my version of fate is it's a thing that certain circumstances have come up where you can do this thing and have this action and, and have this result but you have to choose to do this thing or not do the thing and to put it in less mythic context so it's easier to understand you can imagine uh, let's just say you're a talented computer programmer. Uh, it's just a thing that I'm into, but let's say you're a, I'm not a talented computer programmer. It's just something that interests me, just to be clear. Uh, let's say you're a talented computer programmer. Now, you could say your fate is to make the next big operating system. 
Now, you can choose to fulfill that fate. You can choose to work hard and make a new operating system and then go out there and, and sell it. You can choose to do that. You can also choose to work at McDonald's. That's another option. You can also choose to not do that and just, you know, scrape by. Or, you know, maybe it's not even a bad thing. You Well, yeah, maybe it's not even a bad thing. You just don't care about making money. So you choose not to fulfill your fate. You you can do that. But there, there's another situation where, like, let's say you're me, and you like computers, you think they're interesting, you want to work on them, but you just don't have the natural talent and technical know-how to make a really great operating system. I mean, I, I do love computers, and I... I love working on them, but I don't have just, there's a certain talent that you need to have, a certain art you need to have to do something as big as making a new operating system. I mean, that's something that you need some serious natural talent and natural gifts to do. So it might not be my fate to do that. So I couldn't make the next big operating system. That's not my fate, so I can't choose to fulfill it. So, And I mean, I mean, you can argue that most things you probably could do. And honestly, I don't want to make the next big operating system. I'd rather just sit around and make, you know, video games. Little, little fun video games with stories that I like once in a while. And you can go to frothnear.com to see it. Okay, but seriously. Um, if you want an even more... Uh, an even better argument uh, you could be like if, if you are born into a country that is a third world country you really probably don't have a realistic option B to make the next big operating system because you can barely survive let alone buy, buy a plane ticket and fly over to a place where you could get a job as a programmer I mean where are you going to get the education you, you're you're fighting to get food. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be an option for you. So your fate would not be to make the next big operating system. So that's sort of what I'm talking about in fate. And I, and I don't think necessarily oh there's good fate and there's bad fate. I mean for someone making the next big operating system is a really big deal. But for someone in a third world country maybe getting out of that country and giving their family a fresh start or even making that country a better place is their fate and that is more important to them and in the grand scheme of things maybe it's more important to the world you know i'm excited about the next operating system because i'm into computers but what about the millions of people living in third world countries what about the millions of people starving to death well making your native country better is much more important for those people. And the grand scheme of things is probably much more important, period. Uh, so what I'm saying is everybody has a unique fate. It's, it's not like there's unfated people. It's like, oh, yeah, you're fated. Or, or like really lame fated people. Like, yeah, you're fated to, I don't know, work at McDonald's. I mean, every, everybody has a fate that that they can go out there and embrace. And sometimes it's it's more esoteric. It's like your fate might be to lead people to Ossetro, or your fate might be to lead people to the esoteric, or your fate might be to make the world a better place, or maybe your fate is to truly understand yourself. 
Uh, that's that's a legitimate fight. But anyway, I am getting on a tangent, and what I'm really getting at is you can choose to fulfill your fate or not fulfill your fate. So again, we have free will. Now, we've looked at some examples where the gods practice free will, so you're like, okay, cool. That's probably a good thing, probably a thing we should do. But why? All right, well, because the gods do it. No, I just said that's not a good reason. Okay, let's think. Why is it good? And uh, what it really boils down to is everyone will have an a priori principle that they hold. And by that, I mean a principle that cannot be questioned, so to speak. Uh, so if you think about it, we want, we want to do things logically for the most part. What logic does is if you take two premises, then it will give you a conclusion. The conclusion will necessarily be true as long as both premises are true. Well, you can see right there, you can't do logic until you have premises to put into it. So premises have to come from somewhere. The premises have to come from somewhere. And that's what the a priori reason is. So when I say I think autonomy is most important, that's my a priori principle. That's, that's the premise that I'm like, okay, this is true. Let's see what conclusions we draw from it. Now you could have a different premise. You could say might makes right. That's my a priori premise. I think might makes right. I don't believe in freedom. I don't believe in autonomy. I believe whoever is stronger, strongest it should win and that will make us stronger as a species and, and that's just the way things should be. And I can't argue with that. It's like, okay, well you have an a priori premise. I have an a priori premise. Who's right? It, you can't say. What you can do is say, well, okay, let's look at the consequences of our a priori premises. If we believe in the premises, we know that the conclusions they lead to have to be true, and I'm not going to walk everyone through a logical argument and actually plot out these premises. I, I think, um, though that could certainly be useful and it'd be a great exercise for someone to do, but I, I think there's some common sense uh, consequences for, for believing certain things. Excuse me. So if we look at the free will side of the picture, what happens to you personally and the society at large when you have free will as your underlying premise that you're following? Okay, well, creativity, that's one. Why? Why creativity? Because free will lets people make their own decisions. You don't have to do what the masses say. You don't have to do what other people say. You're allowed to be creative. So just because it's allowed, you're going to get a few people doing it. And I think people are naturally creative. But in most other systems, creativity isn't even allowed. In a might-makes-right situation, that's going to be our foil, uh, you're not allowed to be creative because whoever's strongest is right. So the person who's strongest, quote-unquote right, makes all the decisions. And he's one person as opposed to over here. You've got hundreds of people being creative. Okay, so what does creativity lead to, though? Um, 
well-invented inventions. You can invent some cool stuff. You can make some stuff. Actually, everyone has the right to do whatever they feel like. Some of those people are going to probably make some stuff. Maybe trade it, get an economy going. Um, but there's going to be people inventing things because you are allowed to do that. And if autonomy is encouraged, you're encouraged to do that because that's a way that you can um, actively make your own decisions. Not be controlled by other people, not just use the products and the ideas that are already there, but make something that's truly your own. And again, in the might makes right society, it doesn't happen so much. You do what the right person tells you to do, what the strongest person tells you to do. Not your own thing, so you're not going to have the creativity. So what comes with creativity and inventions? Well, computers, those are nice. Um, medical technology, uh, I mean, just look at how much our medical technology has advanced. And, and I'm not claiming that America is like the epitome of a free society. We have We have our troubles, certainly. But we are a lot more free than we were a thousand years ago. You know, we don't have a king who is divinely inspired where everything he says is automatically right. We do have free speech, which is a thing that's um, not, not necessarily new, but is definitely a thing that wasn't tolerated for a long period of time. Uh, we have a lot of freedoms that we didn't have a thousand years ago. And you know, especially under that whole Catholic Church and kings working together system, there weren't a whole awful lot of rights. And there wasn't a lot of speaking out against somebody allowed. So as we get more freedom, I think that we see we get better te medical technology, for example. So we start living longer. Our agricultural practices get better, so we start having more food. So as you increase freedom, you have you have um, more technology, more food, longer lifespans, easier lifespans, specializations. You know, you don't have to fight to survive. You can really do the things that you want to do. And... I think all of that is great. Now, let's let's go back to the might-makes-right person. Well, everyone's really just trying to survive because whoever's strongest is going to win. You're not going to have lo long lifespans because the person who's in charge, when you get old, you get weak. That's part of aging. You get weaker in your old age. You know, a 70-year-old person cannot beat a 21-year-old person in a race as long as they both live um, equally healthy lifestyles. Obviously, you can have a super healthy 70-year-old and some 20-year-old who's, I don't know, morbidly obese, and the 70-year-old would win in a race. But if they led an equally healthy lifestyle, the 20-year-old, they're, they're always going to win in the race. So as people get older, they get weaker. So in the might-makes-right society, the leaders will always be young because as soon as they get old, since everyone embraces this, they'll just kill them. So you're not going to have a long life for the reasons I've stated. You're not going to have creativity, you know, because it's not allowed. You have to do what the guy in charge says, and he's just the stronger one. You're not going, you're not going to have freedom. Um, 
so so yeah in the might make right society you have shorter lifespan you don't really have any technology to speak of and you're in a very chaotic place where you can't focus on your own things you need to focus on surviving now if the might makes right person says as it should be uh, i mean we're just too weak and comfy as a species right now we need to be a little tougher that society sounds like a paradise I can say that their argument is consistent and I can't really say they're wrong and I'm right because we both see that our philosophies have a reaction or have results. Uh, I've lost the word. We both see that our societies have certain consequences in the world. The might make might makes right person thinks their society is better. They don't think we should live so long. They don't they think we should be a little more chaotic and have to fight a little harder to live. And I think that my society is better. And in that case, we're both equally right. You can't say one of us is right and one of us is wrong. You just have to say we have different values. We have different ideals. However, if the right makes, might makes right person says, well, I mean... We're, we should really have medical technology. I mean, obviously. Um, maybe maybe we'll steal it from you because, you know, we're tough and might makes right and we'll be right. You can't do that. You're getting contradictory if you do that because you're like, if might makes right, in, a, in your version of the perfect world, there would be none of this medical technology because the autonomy people wouldn't be around. So you can't say... You want the consequences of one philosophy, yet embrace a different philosophy. And now there are not many might makes right people in the world. I'm sure it's an unpopular uh, viewpoint. But you should be able to look at your philosophy and just see, are the consequences of my philosophy things that I actually think are good? Or are the consequences of my philosophy things that I find to be very negative? And autonomy is not the only possibility for the underlying ethic of also true. It's the one I have found to be most true and most consistent. Um, even looking at what sends you to Nifel Hell, you know, breaking O's, or that's ultimately breaking autonomy. You know, you've not given uh, two people, your, yourself and another person, have agreed to do something. Everyone went in as autonomous individuals practicing their free will, and then you're like, actually, I'm not going to keep my part of the bargain. Well, that breaks the other person's autonomy uh, because they made that bargain with the understanding that you would uphold it. So you have you have violated that decision-making capability of that person. Because if, if you had gone into the argument and said, okay, we should do this, but I'm going to break my oath, well, that person would have been like, no, I don't want this deal anymore. So you're violating their ability to make decisions or practice their free will. So that's wrong because it breaks their autonomy. And you know murder, not killing. There's a difference between murder and killing. But, but murder, the person doesn't have the choice to say, oh, you know what, I really would rather not be killed. They don't even have the choice to defend themselves. So, again, breaking autonomy and seducing other men's wives is the same thing. It, that's really just an extension of oath-breaking because the husband and wife have taken oaths 
to be together and then the third person comes in and says hey um we should we should do this thing that your husband's not okay with and you and you're not giving the husband a chance to make um make a decision if you want a more detailed explanation of that uh, episode 8.5 i believe it is it's currently the only point episode we have goes into a lot more depth and eight is where the conversation started and laura and i talk a lot about it is it i if i remember correctly it's a pretty good one so i'd suggest checking that out but i think it's 8.5 we go into more detail um anyway so those are some of the reasons that i believe autonomy is um is something that's important but again not everybody would agree with that because there's some consequences you might be uncomfortable with if we do accept autonomy as like the major underwriting thing all of a sudden we have to give people the right to make their own decisions and that might be something that makes you uncomfortable you know it's not something that makes me uncomfortable on any situations I can imagine but some people you know it it may make them uncomfortable so if you're going to say like okay all this makes sense good good i believe in autonomy i think the law supports it just make the, make sure that your actions are um on on board with that you know you couldn't say I believe in autonomy. I think also true really, really shows that and then turn around and be like, but I don't think people should live this way because it honestly doesn't matter what you think. If you are truly embracing autonomy, everybody has the right to do whatever they want as long as it doesn't violate your autonomy. Um, so it doesn't matter if you don't think they should be living that way. They still have the right to do so. But you don't have to associate with them you know whatever they're doing they're a bunch of druggies you probably don't want to associate with them but they have the right to do that so and those are the things that might make you uncomfortable uh yeah yeah that's a big one you know druggies it's like oh i don't think people should do drugs or gay marriage i don't think gay people should get married well if you're gonna really accept autonomy you kind of have to say like okay if it makes me uncomfortable or not that doesn't matter i have to let them do their own thing because i've decided to enhance or or uh, yeah enhance autonomy and not be a detriment to it so i just kind of gotta be like okay i guess that's fine you do whatever you want but you know and and if you don't agree with that it's like nope drugs wrong everyone who does drugs should should go straight to knifel hell they should be put in prison maybe there's a different philosophy that you can find in also true that more encourages that ideal so those are just kind of some things to think about when really thinking about the consequences to all of the really thinking about the consequences to which uh things you're going to believe i guess and and you know this is actually another good example the freya story that i mentioned earlier does make a lot of people uncomfortable they're like oh well ugh, she wanted the necklace and she slept with those four dwarves to get it well that's obviously wrong and then we look at the consequences it does seem odin was a little upset but then again he gave her a hall and the hall of the first slain in battle i mean 
Thy and Harry are 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 the second choice, which are absolutely it's an honorable position and absolutely necessary. But Freya gets the first choice to fill her hall with, and that was given to her after she got the the necklace. So it's difficult to say that was a punishment. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's a reward. Uh, maybe. Maybe it's Odin saw like, okay, well, she's willing to do anything for what she wants. And I know she wants the best for the folk because all the gods want the best for the folk. Um, so I'm going to give her this hall because I know she's going to make the right decisions and she's going to make the tough decisions when they're necessary. Maybe it was the time she proved herself. Maybe it wasn't. But it's hard to call that a punishment. And I mean, you could say, well, now the Christians wrote down our lore, and they just made that story up to make Freya look bad. You could say that. But if you say that, I feel like you have to throw all of the lore out. Because if you're like, okay, well, this one little tiny thing was probably a little bit wrong, I feel like you can do that. You can say... Okay, well, the attitude of this god was probably exaggerated. Even the Odin part being like, well, the attitude of Odin was probably exaggerated. He he wasn't th- mad so much as he was stern. You, you could say that. But to say the entire story never happened, I feel like at that point in time, why are we even reading the lore? Let's just make up whatever we want. So... I don't know, and I, I, I'm not like super strict on the lore. You have to believe it exactly like it's written, because I, I know it's not sacred text. But I feel like just throwing out stories wholesale, I don't know if that's a good idea or not. And really, what's, what's really important to me is I think there is a lesson in there. I'm not saying that we should all go out and sleep with people to get things that we want. It's, it's certainly not socially acceptable. And it probably shouldn't be. But look at the things Odin did that weren't socially acceptable. How many people did he sleep with because it was something that needed to be done? It was something that was in his mind necessary. You know, another thing to remember is we all have the right to make our own choices. And 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 if that means you want to choose to to like in this story with Freya, do that to get the necklace, that's fine. It also means if you're like, nope, not willing to do that, even for a necklace, that's also fine. I think what's key is we have the right to make our own decisions. And I have faith in the gods that they made the best decision. And, you know, I think that they are moral entities. Otherwise, I I wouldn't be honoring them. So, but but these are some serious things to think about when you're trying to come up with your base moral philosophy. Because I do believe we should all have a base moral philosophy where we can say, this is a good thing. And for me, you know, oftentimes I say, it's not breaking autonomy. But what I really think my base moral philosophy, more correctly, would be is that which increases autonomy is moral that which decreases or is detrimental to autonomy is immoral so obviously breaking o's is a, is a detriment to autonomy it's breaking autonomy so that's immoral whereas something uh maybe making o's and keeping them maybe letting people live their lives the way they choose to live their lives without interfering with that those things would be a, a enhancing uh, 
autonomy. So those would be moral actions. But I, what's important when you come up with this like guiding principle that this is really something that every decision you should keep in mind this guiding principle, whatever your guiding principle is. It may not be mine, but whatever yours is. But what you need to do is think about the consequences of this guiding principle that you're coming up with. And if it's autonomy, and I mean it's that autonomy is a fine choice because it's the right one. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, autonomy is a fine choice. Obviously, I think it's the right one. Um, every decision that you make needs to bear that in mind. So you have to say, am I going to be comfortable with the decisions? Um, with the consequences of, of holding this as my moral philosophy? Will I always be comfortable with the decisions I'm forced to make in order to keep this as my moral truth? And then the next thing you want to ask, especially if your guiding principle is not autonomy, it's, it's something completely different. Does my religion support this? Like, if you're Austro, does Austro support this? If you wanted to say, well, my religion is to, or, or my moral philosophy is to make people do what I say, you know, how does Austro support that? How does the lore support that? What actions of the gods support that? And I think you might be hard-pressed to find a lot of action supporting that. Maybe you would. Um, I think a, a more obvious example of, oh, well, my moral truth is to get ahead by any means necessary, especially betrayal. I think it's, I think it's good to betray people. How is Austria going to support that? I mean, we have an example of a betrayer, and it did not turn out well for him, and he's not even counted among the gods anymore. So, if, if, the betrayer, who actually did a lot of good for the gods over the years, if that betrayer is no longer part of the clan, how can you as a betrayer be part of the clan? You would, pray, If you truly thought that, which I don't think it's a healthy moral, but if you truly thought that, you might want to be like, well, this is not necessarily the religion for me because it holds a different moral truth and I should probably find one that's more in line with my views may be a little difficult because I really do think that the vast majority of religions, you know, real serious religions, is to make people better and to make the world better. And I don't think betrayal makes the world better. But I don't know. I could be wrong. Anyway, um, those are some of the things to think about. But, but it is something I think we should think about uh, very often. And I think something that's extremely important when you're thinking religious, religiously minded at all is what does my religion say about this? What does my religion say about that? And what do my personal morals say about this? What do my personal morals say about that? And, and really the goal is to let the lore and to let the history and the stories of the gods um, enhance and evolve your personal morals. You've got your own ideas. You've got your own sense of what's right and wrong. This helps clarify it. Oh, and that's something else I wanted to get into. The whole idea of why did the gods leave us these stories? Why did the gods put these morals in these stories in the first place? I think it goes back to what I said in the first place. 
morals have consequences. Certain morals will create certain societies. I think that the gods wanted us to create a certain type of society. Now, I'm not getting political. I'm not like, that's why we have to make our own magic country where you have to be Austrian. No, that's not what this is. As a folk, the gods wanted us as a folk to be prosperous. They wanted us to have technology, to have longer lifespans, to be able to spend our free times doing something we we wanted to do. They 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 wanted us to have a better life than we did back then. And for the most part, it's it's worked. I mean, it's done well. So the gods gave up. Well, I I guess the gods discovered this morality. The gods presented this morality to us so that we could have a better life. It is in a very real way practical. It's practical that if you believe these certain things, if you truly embrace the lore that has been passed down to us, it will make your life better and it will make the society that we live in better. Even on a semi-subconscious level, you know, if you're like, ah, you know what, I, I, I respect autonomy just because that makes sense to me, but I, I'm not here to make a difference. I'm not here to change the way the world works. I don't want to be president. That's fine. Just by living an autonomous lifestyle and in, encouraging other people to... Well, not even encouraging other people to embrace autonomy. Just by respecting autonomy yourself and respecting free will yourself and exercising your own free will, you make free will more important in the world. You make free will more accepted in everything else. And I think... (coughs) Excuse me. Free will is a huge part of our world because a lot of people really embrace it and know on some level that that it's right. They don't think that, you know, the the free speech thing, for example, is absolutely a consequence of free will. And I think that idea was first introduced by the gods in these stories that they passed on, in these tales, in these personal workings. I mean, definitely don't just read the sagas, work with the gods. See what they have to say about autonomy. See what they have to say about free will. Um... But they they passed these things down to us so we could be a prosperous, powerful, great people, which we are. And, and I think a whole lot of religions, if not all of them, have this as one of their foundational things because this is sort of the beauty of humanity. We can do a lot. We can really do a lot if we if we just respect each other's ability to try to do a lot. It's, I don't know. That that wasn't well stated, but hopefully you had some idea of what I was getting at. So, uh, anyway, uh, I, guess, I guess I'll kind of do my wrap-up now. Um, I think the gods gave us this morality of embracing autonomy to make us a stronger people. So, 
I think that's the reason that they gave us this autonomy. And, and as individuals, I think we should embrace it. I, I really think that is an important thing to do, is to embrace the idea of free will, to practice it ourselves, but also to encourage other people to practice it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, a, a lot of this bleeds into political philosophies and so far I've been very careful not to get into any of the political philosophies none of what I'm talking about right now is political but that's why that pause was there because I could have taken it political but I didn't none of this is political you can be any party you feel like you can be libertarian republican democrat green party Okay, I just named American parties. I'm sorry, that is where I come from. You could be communist, you could be whatever, maybe. You could be whatever political party you want to be. I'm not getting into that. That's not my role. Um, will your religion factor into your political leanings? Probably. Will your religion determine your political leanings? No, it won't. I know plenty of people who are also true who are just the opposite of me politically. Okay, this is a bit of a tangent, but don't let politics divide us. I mean, the in general us. Don't try to do like, oh, well, you have to be this political party if you want to be a real also true. We've got enough division in the community at large, and let's not let politics be another thing. Anyway, done with that side tangent. But regardless of your political party, I think that you need to, on a personal level, accept um, accept the idea of autonomy and free will. And 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 it it, it kind of goes both ways. You accept uh, responsibility for what you do. You know, you you can't blame other people for things that happen. You have to take on some personal responsibility. But on the flip side, you get to take credit for the things that you've done. And and I think that's why pride was such an important part and, and bragging with none of the negative connotations was such an important part of uh, the society back then. And I mean, we had braggy. The word brag comes from his name, braggy. Uh, and, and why it was so important is by taking credit for your actions you are ultimately embracing autonomy because you were saying that you are responsible for your actions and no one else is they are your actions and not someone else's so i know i said i was going to wrap up uh and then i just went on a tangent so let me try that one more time ultimately what i'm saying is the gods have given us these stories to let us understand ourselves and become a stronger people both on a whole, on the whole, and as individuals, and if I'm right or wrong, you don't have to agree with my moral stance here. But I do think looking into autonomy is an important thing, and if you believe it or not, I think that understanding your morality is an important thing that you need to do and I think that you first need to understand your personal morality and then look at your religion and see if it agrees with it or not because that is an important thing when you're deciding hey what religion am I going to be does it or does it not agree with your own personal morality and obviously only you are going to be able 
to know the answer to that question. So, parting words of advice, read the lore, read the Valsapa. The Valsapa is really good for this one. Uh, read the sagas are helpful sometimes too, but especially read the lore, the saga, or, or the lore, the Valsapa, the stories of the gods. See what they did in situations. Every story will make sense. Some of them will force you to think a little harder than others. Um, the story of Freya, for example, is one you have to ponder more than the others. Uh, I really don't think the gods do immoral things. And I think if you study every story, oh, the Yodin ones are, are good thinker, good ones to think on too. If you study each of these stories, you can you can see that really what the gods did was a moral action and and I think studying the stories of the gods helps you understand morality on a deeper level so with all that said I, I may be right or wrong uh, it's something for you to think about but if you had any questions please feel free to email me at huguenhallpodcast at gmail.com and also check out my website at huguenhoff.org Another thing that I would suggest is to subscribe to the RSS. I do believe there's a link on my homepage. Though, oh, uh, that's right. On my homepage, you can go to the podcast tab, and then there's an RSS link that you can subscribe to, or just subscribe to the Northern Runes Radio main feed, and you'll get my podcast as long as the as well as the Northern Runes Radio stuff. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I know it was just me, and that's not the best format. So hopefully, you got something out of it, and I will try to get a guest on again next month probably lore again because uh i haven't actually talked to him for a minute and i'd really like to so hopefully it'll be lore again next month but thank you everybody for listening for hell